0: The School is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. We're all about asking questions and finding solutions for all things education. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike.
1: How's it going? Going great. Good, good. What are we talking about today? We, we kind of pre this a little bit, but I want to be clear on it. Yeah, today,
0: super exciting for me, I think. We're talking about the heart of a teacher. Part of
1: a teacher. Well, we've had a lot of pod episodes that that got it that got into some of those things, but let's let's specify this a little bit. Why don't you lead into some of the things that we were discussing that makes this very different from our other episodes?
0: Okay, sure. So you know we've dabbled around and talked through this a little bit on the podcast and definitely between the two of us, but there are those in teaching and education that look at teaching as a complete science at this point. There are best practices, the best way to do things. There are, you know, reading systems and curriculum that are proven the gold standard of how children learn best and do these things, and you'll have results. I think that people in education, the two of us, and people of the our practitioners and have done it long enough, know that there's more to it than that there is it's not just a science uh wilma said this on our podcast last week when we interviewed her that it's an art as well there's a soft side to teaching that teacher education programs and people who maybe don't understand education very well just completely miss on
1: yeah i'm gonna agree <laughs> If it was easy to be done with the best resources in the world, we wouldn't need people to deliver them. Um, and and I think that that speaks for itself. If we were to put cyber education on every single student, I'm not trying to say that cyber education is not good for some students. I know for some students, it's a great, great alternative. But at the same time, there's still people on the other end of that as well. So um, it, it's the people, like you said, those soft skills that make people the essential component of teaching kids and i think i wanted to ask you too about the the whole person more than the teacher so when we talk about the heart of a teacher we're talking about deep inside not just what's presented to the class but deep inside what are some of those things that you see as being that true heart of a teacher
0: mike you know when when I started my my doctoral work and I was trying to figure out, and this is all I've ever been doing for most of my life, I was trying to figure out how I could become the best educator that I could be or how I could influence the educational system to help more people. I just kept wondering, what is the difference between two people who are trained to teach, that deliver very similar curriculum, and get completely different results? From their students, either academic achievement wise, or just overall holistically, how they're able to move people. And what I kept coming back to was, and I defined it in my research as an idea of emotional intelligence, but the ability to connect with others, and more importantly, the the idea of empathy, and the idea that a teacher is in their role to help, and not to... Just, and the idea that a teacher is in their role, not just to deliver content, but to help and move people. We keep having constant refrains on the podcast, but the idea that teachers, the heart of a teacher at its very core cares about others. They care deeply about their students. They care deeply about their community, and they genuinely care what happens to those students who are with them
1: yeah i i think that the heart of a teacher is is beyond what what they present in the classroom it's how they present themselves everywhere um and one of the things i had mentioned earlier was when you see when when you're a teacher or if you're a principal or if you're a school worker and you're in the you're in the community let's say you're at a grocery store and it's on a weekend and for me personally, I can tell you exactly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look a lot the same way that I look now. I'm going to be a day unshaven. I'm going to have jeans and a sweatshirt on. And when a kid sees me, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Mr. D. And they look at you like, but you're not the Mr. D I know. But what comes out of me is the Mr. D that they know because I'm going to wrap them up. I'm going to say hi to their parents. I'm going to make sure their weekend is going okay. Um, I'm going to bebop with them a little bit, but they don't see what they hear. So they hear the person as a whole, but they see something different. And that awe lets you know that your heart is there, but your rough appearance, because it's a weekend and I don't feel like shaving, looks a little bit different. But when I present myself to the community, I am that same person. I am that same giving person that makes sure everything's going okay. Is there anything I can do to help? I'm not going to say that every time, but like you're you're kind of being a, a good soul to everyone that you come across. And I think that's what you're getting at is that persona should go with you everywhere. It should be who you are. And it's more than just, so did you get your homework done for Spanish? Because remember, we're having a quiz on Tuesday. There's a little bit more to it than that.
0: Right. And Mike, we talked about every teacher contract that I've seen, or I, I believe in in the country probably has what's called a morality clause. And that's that the, the school district expects teachers and all educators to live to a certain moral standard. And the reason for that, and you can just define it as being a good person, as a teacher, you are modeling life at all times. And the heart of the teacher is just Are you a good person? And if you're not a good person, if you're not willing to do all the right things on the weekend at the grocery store, as you're doing in the school, it's time to go do something else. And people in education must have that heart. They must have that inner goodness for when they're in front of their students. We are getting a model of what we want those young people to become each and every day.
1: And I don't want this to be confused that people should be this way because at all times, even out of the school, all eyes are upon you. I think that that blurs it a little bit. I think that people who are a certain way because they're afraid that they're always being watched in the public, that's that's different than being a good person because you are a good person. There shouldn't be something forcing you to, to be a certain way, you know, or... Well, it's different now because kids have phones, and they could video everything that you're saying. They can, and it's okay if they do. You know, I'm I'm very okay. My door is open. Come on in. I'm I'm okay with with where where I am and what I'm doing.
0: Right. We've talked about this, Mike, but I just thought about the old Charles Barkley thing. I'm not a role model, and teachers or who are teaching now, educators who are in education, or if you're considering going into teaching. If you're not willing to be a role model, then don't do it. You are a role model. First and foremost, your students will learn more from your actions, your habits, and your words than they ever will from a lesson on how to read or whatever that is. They're going to learn more from you as a person, and we must all be prepared to be that very best person every day in front of these students who are with us
1: right and and like you said the the morality clauses there's even certain laws in place in the world of education that caution teachers and school workers on certain things um so for example if if you're if you're a teacher who's politically charged and you bring that charge into your classroom imagine what now you are creating because you're in front of kids all day every day imagine them taking your word and hanging on it and becoming who you are, that's not to say whether it's wrong or right in your personal life, right, raise your family how you want that to to be or give give your family the tools that, that you grew up with as well, but doing that particular thing in a classroom, you must be very, very careful with because you're creating children to become who they need to be for themselves and not what you want them to become personally. And I know that's a bit of a a tangent to where we're going with this, but that's just an example of the role model that you are. Kids will hang on your words. Kids will see how you are um, and and what you use to represent yourself. And like you said, if, if you're not willing to be that person, you're in the wrong field because That's exactly what it is.
0: Mike, the scariest thing as a teacher or an administrator or someone in school is when you know you've hooked students that way. Yeah. When you know that they will follow you wherever you go and that you've said this, when students start to use the words that you use or they think that you're so funny that they want to be like you, that is so scary too, though, because you know that if something goes the wrong way, that's going to crush those kids, or they might start, they're modeling you. They might start to do things that wouldn't be best for them. And that I think most illustrates what I'm talking about. And teachers who've experienced this, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Those kids that are right with you, they, they are connected with you so much. They, they want to be like you
1: and it's powerful and scary. Right. Uh (laughs) Um, When when I think of heart of a teacher too, I I mean anybody who knows me knows that I'm I'm very much you know one of my personal hobbies is is driving and all things automobile and I I relate teaching in my world to to like driving a car and and everything about that like what car are you going to choose to drive and why are you choosing to drive it and if you relate your pedagogy to that kind of like follow me along with this you know if. If I'm going to drive a fast car is there a reason that I drive a fast car? Am I going to choose a an economy vehicle and is what's the purpose of choosing that economy vehicle? Those those different methods of teaching are evident. They might get to the same place and they might get there very very well, but within those styles imagine how you're going to drive each one of those vehicles. You know, and if and if I were to take that analogy and if I have a fast car Am I going to be a menace in this fast car? And people are going to see that I'm the person in this particular fast car who's a menace on the roads, and they're going to know me as that. Or even if I'm in an economical vehicle, but I'm at a light, and I think that somebody is following me too closely, and I jump out of the car, and I road rage on somebody behind me, I now am that person too. doesn't matter the car I choose, it matters the person who's driving it. And even if you take that a step further into your pedagogy and the way you drive that car, for me, for example, I can tell you everything about the the steering, the handling, and everything by the way the road feels all the way through the steering wheel. And I could make adjustments for it. I'm very careful about that. But if I lose that care or whatever, then I just don't care how I'm um, how I'm using this tool to get to my, my destination. Again, that's that's a little bit of a tangent. Um but but it's relative.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Mike, I wanted to talk a little bit about, for hopefully for teachers who are listening, how you are able to, to hook people in like that. How you're able to use your heart, your goodness, who you are to then get students to lead and to follow you. We've talked about this a little bit. Sometimes you're not always selling the best product. And sometimes it might be difficult, hard work to get those students from A to B. How do I lead them there? I lead them there through who I am. I lead them there by getting them to buy me first, and then I'll bring them along with the content. But some some teachers, I think, struggle with this. And if they are genuinely a good person, if they do have that heart, a lot of times what you need to hear is you have the permission to let that come through in your own unique, exciting ways. I see this in teachers. I've seen it a lot. There's a lot of times a reluctance to share who they are personally with students and with their classes. I don't know whether it's just a fear of that, of getting too close to students, or if it's that they think that that's not what you're supposed to do. But if I were advising teachers, young teachers or people at whatever point of their career, allow who you are to come out in all the things that you do so those teachers i mean those students can see that great person and can buy into you and then they'll follow you
1: yes you said it they have to buy into you as much as they're buying into the product per se that you're you're delivering but at the same time your personality is also a product and probably the first product that they're going to purchase they're going to buy into you when i was at the high school as a teacher when I started, there were 1,100 kids in the building, and I had a very signature way of walking through the halls. I mean, I had a, I still do. I mean, everybody's got their own kind of gait or whatnot, but people can tell when I'm coming through the hallways, the way I walk, the sound that it makes. But in the high school, I also did a very distinct thing with every single kid that I passed in the hallway. I gave every kid a nod, and I don't know that I was alone in doing that but out of those 1100 kids i swear 950 of them they all nodded back whether i had them in class or not they knew that when they passed me they were going to get a nod and then as i as i progressed into knowing kids and getting better at at knowing more and more and more kids and then as a principal knowing all the kids then it becomes high five now i walk through the building i have an entire classroom coming to go into a specials class i got 25 <laughs> hands out ready for a high five And that's just the way it goes. You're going to sell yourself before you sell that product. That is important to know as a teacher. When you have that, you have them. And when you have them, they are now ready for what else you have for them. They're ready to listen to the words that you're going to say, which more than likely they're going to hook into the curriculum that you're going to deliver. So tell me, Mike, or tell us a little bit more about
0: how you develop that. I've shared this before. When I came to that school where you were teaching as a first year in the building for me, I started hearing all these comments about Mr. D this, Mr. D that. I mean, the kids chattered in my classes about m- what Mr. D was doing or what he, what we, they were doing in class that day. Talk about that process of allowing who you are, your personality, your goodness, and your heart to come out to your students in an appropriate and
1: acceptable way. Well, it it takes a little bit of fearlessness. You've got to you've got to check your your fears. You've got to check some certain things at the door before you even walk into that building. Um, and everything that you do must back that up. So when you're walking past a group of kids, or if you're walking in the hallway and somebody drops a book, you must go out of your way to pick that book up and give it to the student, whether you know them or not. Whether that student is a good kid, bad kid, whatever, doesn't matter. You must pick that up and say, here you go. You've got to immediately say, I'm here to help you. You have to stop whatever you're doing. If you see a group of kids like piled around a locker having a conversation, you've got to stop and say hi to every one of them, whether you know them or not. You just got to be like, hey, how's it going? It sounds kind of nerdy, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of interjecting into their conversation, but you're still letting them know that you're there and that you're happy that they are there too um so then then it kind of turns into like if you're if you're walking in the hallways and you and you bump a kid and you do it purposefully but they turn around and look at you like excuse me and you're like ha, and you kind of laugh at them and you, you let them know that like you're you're making yourself vulnerable for them and they they see that you're a human being that's not just there to make sure they get their homework done and that they're, you're not just there to give them a quiz on Friday. You're there as a person committed to them as a whole person, as a whole being. Once you establish that, then kids start to reciprocate that a little bit. Then then the nods start coming back to you. And when that happens, when kids start nodding back to you, you're more than adult an adult in their world. And even when I had to put the shirt and tie on or the suit and tie on, that fearless, aspect must come out. You've you've got to be able to, at times, even admit, I'm the guy wearing a tie across the desk from you, and I'm probably going to have to give you a consequence for your behavior. But I want to explain to you why this pains me, as much as it may pain or even annoy you. And then you walk through that realistic aspect of why we're both even in the same space to begin with. And you've got to be honest and fearless with kids at all times. When you get that, you're going to have more kids buying into your product, your product being learning. They're going to buy into that. So now it doesn't matter what textbook you have in front of you. It doesn't matter what scientifically proven or disproven theory you're going to present to them. They're going to do it for you.
0: the things I thought about while you were describing that are so true. You have to be fearless in your ability to put who you are and your own personality out in front of students. And I know, you know, like, Oh, Mr. D could be the cool teacher and he's a cool guy. There are, there are teachers who might have very different personalities than that in, in a school who are able to do the exact same thing because they fearlessly just put their own personality and their own selves and the fact that they care about their kids out every day. I'm going to come in and, you know, if you're looking for a few more strategies, things that I think are really important, I'm going to come in every day. And at times I'm going to tell you about personal things that happened in my life last night. A lot of times, I I would always talk with my class at the beginning, and my classes towards the end of my teaching had very, very little lecture at all, almost exclusively hands-on project-based, but I would introduce the class with myself every day, and if something funny happened to me the night before, I would tell it. If something funny happened to me around Groundhog's Day, I would tell that story from my life when I was 20. Because it was a way that I could keep putting myself out in front of my kids. And when kids know that you're willing to share who you are, they then have an opportunity to like you. It's hard for kids to like you if they don't really know who you are. They'll like you. If you're good and have that good heart for them, they will love you. You just have to give them, them that opportunity to know that and then buy into you.
1: Right. And at the same time, you have to not avoid, you have to run away from the exact opposite of what we're talking about. If you see that a kid is, is elevated, is completely escalated, um, maybe even using profanity or something like that, you cannot be the person that meets them there in order to trap them. Once you trap kids, you become the person who traps kids. Mm -hmm. Once you see that a kid's having a hard time or that a kid isn't following some kind of a policy and you whack them with a consequence before even talking to them, you become that person. And that is not a healthy relationship for a kid. We knew what was going to happen to the kid. The kid probably knew what was going to happen to the kid, but maybe the kid was hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe there was one person out there that would ask that person, are you okay? Do you need any help? Before saying, you can't wear that to school, you need to go home. And that kid's going, great, because that's what I came here for. I came here to make sure that you were the person that was going to send me home and not ask me if I needed anything. And now I've developed this idea, not just of you, but of the school and of the school system. And and, oh, my parents told me that you were going to be this way. Right. We've got to be the people that stop all of that. There are kids that come to us from weird situations, from unhealthy situations, and they are looking for us to fail them. And we've got to be the people that will not fail them. We've got to be the people that are gonna bump them on the shoulder and say, how you doing? And if they turn around and still have this, this odd look to them, it changes you into the person that says, I'm here for you now. Do you need time and a space to share your story, because I can see that you're not laughing. We, we have to do both sides of that. We have to be the person that's relentlessly optimistic, but then again, in our heart, be the people that are going to help kids coming to us from difficult situations and not realize what they thought coming here to begin with, that we're not here for them, that we're here to trap them, make them follow a procedure and a policy that they knew wasn't here for them. Kind of went off there a little bit, but at the same time, I'm
0: I'm going to try to frame what you're saying, Mike, with a couple of terms from the research, my own research, but you're talking about simultaneously caring and maintaining high expectations, which that genuine, if you, if you look at your heart and you look at teaching as a parenting role, you care and you also want the very best and you're going to hold people to a very high standard simultaneously. You can't just tell students you care about them. You have to prove it. You have to prove that you care through your actions, what you're talking about. You need help right now with this. You need time or space or another person to talk to. I'm going to get that for you. You're struggling with this aspect of your project. I'm going to stay after school and help you with that. You're having trouble at home. I'm going to talk to you about that because I care about you. But at the same time, I'm not going to lower my standard for you behaviorally or academically. I'm going to grade this project in a way that I'm going to grade it for other students, but I'm going to help you get to that point because I have high expectations for you. And one thing that's been a challenge for me as I moved from the classroom to a, a school administrator's role Is that at the classroom level when you're talking about care and expectations? A lot of times I was able to just take care of that in my own little space in the classroom and maybe not have to do that formal level of discipline because I just could take care of it in my space for that student. But as I transitioned to the administrator's role, and I was thinking about this as you were talking, Mike, framing the action, framing the consequence is something that I have learned to do, and I've learned that's very important. So we've talked about this. At times, there might be a a really serious situation that a student did something awful, they made a mistake, they are going to have to be suspended from school. Just the way that you can frame that to the student and the family as an administrator, I think is very important. The one way you can frame it that doesn't show, in my mind, a high level of care or understanding or the heart of what we should be is
1: this happened, you're suspended, end of story. Yeah, Miles, you're being so tactful right now. You really are. And, and I appreciate that. But you know what? I, I'm going to come out there and I'm, I'm going to say what you're saying in a different way. And, and uh, it's probably pretty bold. And there's going to be people listening to this going, man, I do not agree with that guy at all. He needs to slow down. But I'm just going to put it out there that structured tiered discipline often does not work. So let me put that into a different perspective. Hey, um, Timmy, I see that you were late to class one time. That's a minor offense. And you uh, swore in the hallway the other day too that's a second minor offense and you know that if you have two minor offenses that turns into a major offense i gotta suspend you now in school um well that's very impersonal to timmy and it's more useful to the adult than it is to timmy because all you said was hey timmy um you you didn't pay for the gum you can't have it (laughs) so i i mean I hate to be that way or whatnot, and and I open myself up to a lot of criticism for that. But at the same time, who's there to talk with Timmy about why he was late to class or what was going on, why he used profanity? And do you know any other ways of expressing yourself and saying to him, hey, I'm going to put you in school suspension for a day because this is what's best for you?
0: Right, and that, that's the heart of what I, what I'm saying, is that if that student trusts you and believes in you as the person who's making whatever decision, then it has a lot more of an opportunity to change their actions in the future. If they believe in you, if they trust you, if they know you, then sometimes it's, I have to do this. We're going to do this together for you. And then maybe it has an opportunity and you're there to help and support them after whatever that discipline is or that action is over. We've talked about this. We've talked about transition to restorative practices and how important it is to help and support and care. We've also talked about, Mike, that a lot of times people are of the opinion, move them along. If they're not working here at this school or if this, send them somewhere else. Or there's another place for them. There is no other place for them. You know, our, our mission and our charge is to teach those kids who we have and they're not going anywhere else. But that's our job. I don't want them to go anywhere else either. I want to teach them. You want to teach them. And yeah. that's that's our heart. That's our mentality. So then what do we have
1: to do to raise everyone up? We, we have to model and be that person that says... There is this other way. That there is a way that we all get together and get along in our own community, and think about this. And and here's there's two sides of this because I, I hear my wife speaking, not not literally, but figuratively in my mind. I hear her speaking a little bit. Would you run a school the same way you run your family? And you said this earlier. Oh well, you know what, son. I, I see that you you took your your sister's toy and you did that 2 weeks ago too so you know what now you don't get any cartoons well you did something else well now you got to sit in your room all day well well that's a very passive approach to it and that's just one example but then the other side of this is well this isn't how society is run society is run that if you have a, if you make a mistake in society there is a consequence and I say, yes, that is how society is run. How's that working out for us right now? How's exactly. that working out for all of us?
0: Exactly, Mike. Two things I'll follow up on what you said and I was thinking about as you were saying them. You know, I put my son in his room yesterday and Mac's not gonna listen to this, so it's okay. I put him in his room yesterday because he needed a quick couple minute break from the situation that he was in. And after I sent him to his room, I went right up to him and I gave him a hug and I talked to him about what happened and I told him that I loved him and I told him that I was going to, we were going to do better together. But if something were happen again, I wouldn't tell Mac that he has to go sleep outside for the night, that he can't be in my house, that he can't be in my school. And I wouldn't go tell him, hey, you got to go find your own place to live now. You're not allowed to come live in my house anymore. That would never happen in a family. So we know at the family level, things aren't run that way. And we talked about last week, but building our own culture. And we know the United States imprisons more people per capita than anywhere else in the world. That's a broken culture. I don't want to model what my school or what schools do on that culture. I don't need to teach people that that's the way the world is because it doesn't work. It's no good. We need to make our own culture and education that is counter to that opinion. Because the criminal justice system in the United States does not have it figured out. It's broken. We need to fix education and stop modeling what we do in education or stop telling people in education, we're doing this because of the real world. The real world in some ways doesn't work. We, uh, we
1: are in control of education. So let's control it the right way and do what people need. Exactly. And that is what that, that is the essence of heart of an educator, heart of a teacher, When you know that it's a difficult job to find out what your kids need and then provide it, both emotionally and academically, now you see why what we do isn't as easy as some people might say it is. It takes incredible amounts of resources to get that done. And I don't mean money resources. I mean, you've got to train personnel and you've got to accept this idea into a school culture. And that takes boldness that takes fearlessness that takes grit that takes perseverance and you know what that that takes that takes some serious gumption on behalf of the leader to stand up to possibly a system that's not built for that but it does start in the classroom with the administration with the district it's our job to start thinking in those directions
0: most most definitely. We need teachers who are willing to go against the grain and admit that they are doing best for their students and just going to do that. We need administrators who are able to build their own culture. We need superintendents who are able to do that. Politicians, I'm not going to influence them. We need people in education to begin to make decisions and do what's right best based on how they know people need help. People don't need help through an algebra one book. I'm sorry. people no, they- need so much more than that. And if if we could, Mike as as I'm continuing to think about this idea, heart of the teacher, I talked to you about this a little bit. For me, The the people that I had in my life that were the best teachers who I knew cared about me the most, who inspire me to this day, didn't do it through the things, the lessons that they taught, the curriculum that they were asked to teach me. I'm a sixth grade teacher, Miss Lily. I have no idea what she taught me in sixth grade. I know that I still want to make her proud today because of who she was and how she showed that she believed in me. And I know I know for sure that Mr. Pendolino showed me when I was in ninth grade what a good person was supposed to look like, and I attempt to model that at times in my life now, and I know for sure that Dr. Holtz and Dr. Corbett at the collegiate level were just people that I wanted to be like, and when I make decisions in my life now, I can still hear their voices in my head or imagine them seeing my own actions and think, am I making them proud? The same way as my own parents looking at me. It's the exact same thing. These people became very important in my life, and they probably don't even know, but just who they were and modeling that and that, for me, is the essence, the core of heart of a teacher. And if we can get our teachers and education to realize that it's about people, it's about relationships, we can
1: continue to do the work that we're, we're charged to do. And you know what? And if you're listening to this podcast and you hear what Miles just said, imagine kids by the scores coming into a building who don't have those people in their lives you now are those people in their lives. You're that person. Even if you're not a teacher, even if you're not a school worker, even if you are a a nurse at a hospital standing in line at the grocery store, you now are that person in our community saying please and thank you, being polite and courteous and smiling at kids who are behind you. That is not creepy. That is being a good human being and modeling that. And that is the heart of a teacher. There is more, there; rather, there are more teachers than in the classroom. If you're a parent, you're your child's first and best teacher. If you're standing in line at a grocery store and you're not cursing somebody, you're a teacher, but at the same time, if you are cursing somebody, you are also a teacher. Mike, I know
0: you live a little ways away from the school where you teach because you like living out in the, in the country and doing those way out kind of things. But I also know you're not afraid to have people see you in the community and you embrace those opportunities. One thing I think is always sad when teachers or administrators or someone tells me, I could never live where I teach because I I would see the kids who I teach or my house would get egged or something like that. I, for a long time, loved living half a mile away from where I taught high school. I loved seeing those kids who I taught down at the YMCA and having them come up to me and ask me for tips on working out. I love seeing students at the drive-through at the grocery store, and I still do. And I, you know this, you have people come up to you. I have people that come up to me all the time who were in the school where we worked, who I never had in class. And they're like, Mr. O'Shea, how you doing? And I I pretty much remember the names of almost every student who I had in class. But when these people come up to me, I know I didn't have them in class, but they still embrace you as someone who they know cared about their friends or whoever they interacted with in school. That's, That's why... I do what I do because of the influence, just that goodness that you can impart to other people.
1: I I cannot share in words, the feelings that come along with the things that, that we do. Um, what I will do really quick is I, I brought up my phone here and I, I want to read a, a quick message that was attached to a video. Now, this is a grandparent raising a child Um, helping raise a child that doesn't go to my school anymore. So this, this boy and his little sister left last year, and I still eat dinner once a year with this family. Um, Every summer they give me a call and we, we share a lunch and I come out to their house and, and, you know, play with the kids and stuff like that. These kids don't go to my school. Okay. They're not my kids anymore, but they're always my kids. (laughs) So she texted me uh, last night, um, two nights ago, rather, I was driving home. She says, Jack is playing basketball for second and fourth grade. He was the only one to score a basket during his scrimmage. He would love it if you came to watch him. And then, of course, I replied and she gave me some dates and times. Now, I'm going to go watch Jack play basketball for the same reason that this past summer, I went to Jack's church and ate dinner with him when he when he was successful with, with part of his church program. You, these are things that you cannot put words to. You cannot put words to what comes with this level of relationship that you have with people. And that's what people need. That's the model that we have to set for people. I'm not bragging about those things, but I'm saying that those things exist and when you when you discover that they exist, you work for them every day.
0: And I'm just sitting here with a big smile on my face, Mike. That is just that to that that little text message that you read to me is who you are. That's who you are. You've said it repeatedly on the podcast that you're willing to do for people, but that's who you are. That's where your heart is. Your heart is in helping the students who who you have, who you teach. And that's all that being a great educator is. If you are wondering how you become a great teacher or a great administrator, it starts with the heart. It starts with your heart and builds out. Let your care for people, your humanity, your compassion and your empathy come out. Don't be reserved. Don't do the status quo. Let that come out.
1: That, that's, that's all there is. I don't know how else to say it. I enjoy
0: doing this, Mike. This is something that I, I just find to be one of the most central issues in education. Like I said, a lot of people outside of education don't get it. They won't get it. They They don't even need to get it. The people who are working with us, those are the people that just need to continue to focus on the inside first and let it come out. And we can do that
1: together as educators. And the people on the outside that don't get it, they should at least know that it's being done. Sure. And when someone
0: wants to criticize a school for a score on a test, they can hear that story of a building administrator going to work with students so they don't even have in their school anymore because they care about them. And you could have teachers send in. And if you're listening to this, we want to start to invite some more collaboration and feedback from you, but you could probably gather hundreds of thousands of stories from educators in this country right now who have powerful stories, just like that. They're not looking for any credit. They're definitely not looking for a bonus because it's not coming their way, but they care about their kids and they continually sell out and go out of their way to do things that they need.
1: Yeah. I I want to welcome those things our way. Um, We do have kind of plugging it a little bit, but we did create a Facebook page for school is out. Look for that. uh, Like it, start sharing with us. Um, If it's easier over Facebook, I put some podcast episodes on there. I'm checking that hopefully updating that page about twice a week, but you know, we, we care that these things are being done. We care to hear about those things. And I know that we're going to, we're going to start a series of strategies to get it done. And and so we, we'd love to hear you either at the, either from the website or the Facebook page. So um, keep doing what you're doing and, and you know make a difference have that heart to be a teacher
0: yeah and we just really want to invite that collaboration we know that quite a few teachers are listening to this we know that some parents and just some people in the world are listening we want to start to have to broaden the conversation and to hear and to to get those opinions and views and questions that you may have on the podcast as well it's just really important to us and that's why we're doing this we're not doing it for anybody else than than for the people we're trying to serve. That's it. This has been the School's Out podcast. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.